You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle. Stephon Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings have walked up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle. That, of course, was Vikings Radio with the NFL Call of the Year. Incredible still when you hear it. Again, I'm your host, Robert Land, along with my co-host, House of Houston's Brian Patterson. Welcome back to Locked On Texans. Your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. We are also part of the FanRag Sports Network. And we're bringing in now part of the Locked On Network, one of our colleagues with Locked On Vikings, Sam Ekstrom. And Sam, great to have you with us. And first of all, what was it like in the last 24 hours up in Minnesota? Oh, man, it's been wild. You know, there's a lot of baggage around this team. You've got four Super Bowl losses. You've got devastating conference title defeats in 87, 98, 2000, 2009. Um, you've got a 2003 season where you got eliminated on the last play of the season. There's just a lot that's gone wrong with this team. I didn't even mention the Blair Walsh miss two years ago, so it's still it's fresh. It's raw. You've got playoff losses in the, the recent past that haunted you. So that's what follows this team around. So to go into this second half, blow a 17-point lead, watch Drew Brees predictably march down the field and lead them to a go-ahead field goal drive, it's the script that everybody feared, and it came to fruition. And it's 24-23, and you've got 25 seconds on the clock, and Case Keenum at quarterback, and I think the actual percentage of winning at that point, about 2%. And in Vikings fans' mind, I think they were all resigned to 0%. I think it was over. It was positively, definitively over at that point. Personally, I'm in the press box, and the press box is usually a very stoic place, right? There's a lot of crusty old writers. There's a lot of people who don't show emotion uh, pretty regularly. They're hardened <laughs> from, years of, from years of being on the beat. There was real emotion yesterday. You know, there were people standing and making audible noises and hugging each other in the press box, totally against protocol. But that's what it meant to people. Like, you know, the the people kind of put their fan hats on there for those 15 seconds during that play when Stefan Diggs broke loose. And it just, it it was representative of the whole state. Uh, It set loose just a wild celebration. You've probably seen dozens of reaction videos from people watching in their living rooms or at sports bars. No one wanted to leave that stadium yesterday. It was absolutely berserk. I don't think anybody who was there or anybody who watched it could sleep last night. I certainly didn't get more than five hours or so because I, I was just so busy, uh, you know, trying to take in um, all the writing, all of the video, all of the different angles that had been captured from it, all of the player reactions, which were some of the most awestruck I've ever seen. Um, and then today, again, at Winter Park, going back um, and getting the player reactions in the locker room. They're still pretty awestruck by it, and a lot of them um, stayed up late last night watching replays. It's been a special 24 hours, Robert. Um, Definitely, I would say, 
the, the greatest Vikings finish in, in team history, in a 57-year history. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Have, is there any particular story that you've heard over the last 24 hours uh, from fans watching the game or, or just uh, reaction around the city, uh, something, that, something that happened when that play happened, anything in particular? <laughs> a couple things come to mind. Number one, there is one fellow who tore his Achilles amidst his celebration, and he was in urgent care today getting tended to. Um, I, think he, I think he made some of the evening news shows. I, I don't know his name, but he's been around Twitter, and he's locally gone viral because of this injury. So that's pretty comical. I think in a broader sense, earlier today, I reached out on Twitter and I said, what did this win mean to you, Vikings fans? And I shared some of the responses on Twitter, and almost all of them came back to family. You know, a lot of these Vikings fans that that watched the Super Bowl losses grew up with their dads. You know, they, they grew up as young fans. Their dads kind of taught them football and introduced them to the Vikings. And now we're into like second and third generations that have experienced the heartbreak. You know, you've got a, a whole new generation uh, kind of fell in love with the Vikings around the, the late 90s and the 98 Vikings. And it's it's those people that were heartbroken back then that are now raising another generation. Um, and they actually got to introduce them to a victory, a miraculous victory that it was so cathartic for so many people because it really it really did, Robert. It's remarkable, but it, it erased, I think, so many scars. Just one play, one play that had never been done in NFL history. No team had ever walked off with a touchdown like that. Um, it's, it's just eased the pain of people. It's amazing how it can have that effect, but, um, this is a really elated city right now. And I think a lot of older people, um, are really appreciate appreciating this as much as anybody because they've seen all the losses and they've seen how rare an event like this is. The next part of the story. And I know Brian will want to get on this, uh, as well, but he'll back, back off of the, uh, back me up on this one. You know, you looked on social media here and, Case Keenum is beloved. Everybody was so happy for him. Uh, Texans were tweeting out uh, stuff about him, uh, you know, congratulating him, that kind of thing, as well as the fans. Uh, what in the world happened to Case Keenum up in Minnesota that we couldn't figure out down here? We got him at the beginning. Uh, the, the team had other issues around him. So there, there was that. Uh, they brought him back again. I think it was about a year later for a game, but – uh, you guys have, have turned the key on this guy and figured the whole thing out. And I, I had a ton of confidence in him uh, when I was watching him that he would turn into something at some point. But, you know, after the Rams experience, I thought, oh, this might never happen. Yeah, well, let me give you the Cliff Notes version. The sources were saying back during training camp that he was competing with Taylor Heineke for the backup job. Taylor Heineke had really never played a meaningful regular season down in the NFL. But from what we were hearing, Taylor Heineke might have been the favorite to be the backup. Like, that's how close Case Keenum was to not even making this team. Um, he had a pretty good showing in the preseason. And I, I would say he looked better than Sam Bradford in the preseason. He, um, he, he moved the ball downfield. You know, the offense behind Sam Bradford in the preseason was woeful. And then Keenum came out and actually kind of sparked him a little bit. Um, then the second week of the season comes around. Keenum gets his first start. Bradford dealt with a knee injury and Keenum looked overwhelmed against Pittsburgh. And I think everyone said, ah, this is the real case. Keenum, 
it, when it really counts, he's not going to come through. This is going to be a long year if Bradford's not in. So he starts 0-1. You know, then he beats Tampa Bay, one of the best games of his career. Then he loses against Detroit, and you're thinking, okay, it's, it's up and down, Keenum. Um, no one really had faith in this guy uh, until, I would say, about week, week seven, week eight. You know, the Vikings kind of developed, started going on that winning streak. Uh, 1-3, 1-4, 1-5. And then they went on that road swing where they played Detroit on the road. They won. Keenum was great. They went on the road against Atlanta. They won. Keenum was great. He beat the Rams at home. And he's just in this offense with Pat Shermer, who's probably going to leave after this year to New York, who is extremely adaptable. I think he mitigates Keenum's weaknesses by calling uh, really good plays. They've got a dynamic receiving core, obviously, with Thielen and Diggs, but a running back core that's dynamic as well. I don't think Latavius Murray is a a top 10 back in the league, but uh, he's very good in short yardage. Jerick McKinnon is great in the passing game and in small doses in the running game. And the offensive line is vastly improved. And Keenum, to his credit, has been one of the most elusive quarterbacks in the NFL. His sack rate is extremely low. It was number one in the NFL for the longest time. Uh, He buys time. If you watch the Saints game, he had that 10-second scramble there in the red zone. And and that's prototypical prototypical Keenum. Um, Just finds a way to make big plays. And he makes more big plays than he makes mistakes. He does make some mistakes, as you saw with that interception in the Saints game. But um, he brings intangibles that Sam Bradford didn't necessarily have. And it's really been a treat to watch him flourish. You know, this this is nothing new uh, with Case Keenum. And I, I had a feeling that he, whenever the moment preceded him, he was going to have that opportunity. You know, uh, I'm a U of H grad, and I've seen a lot of Case uh, during his college years. And, you know, particularly one game that, that sparks interest to me is September 26, 2009, when he beat Texas Tech. We were definitely the underdogs uh, in that game. He goes in and runs in, and it, it was on the last plate. He ran in the football himself. And he ended up, you know, passing for over 400 yards and whatnot. And the ground game was just as strong as the uh, as the game in the air. But but the thing about Case is, you know, whenever the the he has that opportunity, and he just had to find the right system that he can be and will be successful. But I just had to get that off my chest. But how, what do you see as far as his future uh, here with you know going with the Vikings? He has one. He he made the pass. It was a great pass to Stefan Diggs. You think that has solidified his deal of what I think he deserves, what, $10 million a year. But, again, I'm not a general manager, but I think he should start making some real money now as their quarterback. Yeah, it's obviously the biggest Vikings talker of the offseason. Some people take the stance of, well, you've got three starting caliber quarterbacks. There's just a plethora of riches in Minnesota. I'm not so sure it's that simple. With Teddy Bridgewater, there's a massive risk. He hasn't played meaningful football in two years. By the time next season comes around, it'll be three or two and a half years, almost three years, that he hasn't played in a regular season or playoff game. So with Teddy Bridgewater, you have no clue what you're going to get from a mental standpoint. Can he physically still do it? We don't know. So so he's kind of a wash. Uh, Sam Bradford, he's now going on three essentially season-ending knee injuries now in his career. You don't know what you're going to get with Bradford. You can't entrust long-term money or big money to Bradford and make him your starting quarterback. So really the safest bet of the three is probably Case Keenum. 
Now, the unfortunate part is, is that you're losing Pat Shermer. And I, some of the scuttlebutt has been that Shermer is allegedly going to bring Keenum with him to his new destination. Um, it, and allegedly, that's going to be New York now, according to Ian Rappaport. So would he bring Case Keenum to New York to replace or, or compete with Eli Manning? That seems like an awkward situation. Not sure what New York management is thinking there. But yeah. I think the Vikings could very well franchise tag Keenum. It might not be great value, but it prevents you from having to commit to him long term. It sort of make it, it's like an expensive one year prove a deal where you say, OK, let's get a new offensive coordinator in here. I'm guessing they hire from within maybe Kevin Stefanski, the quarterback's coach, and they say, hey, all right, Case, let's prove it again. You're still going to have a dynamic defense. Um, can you duplicate this performance? And then in that case, I would I would assume an extension would be in order. I'm not convinced they're going to extend him for big money long-term this offseason. I think they would, uh, obviously, from a team standpoint, like to see him take maybe a, a, a little discount, um, maybe like, you know, more, more of a bridge deal, maybe three years, um, eight to 10 million a year. Um, they certainly don't want to pay him 15 to 20 because quarterbacks are, can be expensive. I think he likes it here. Um, if he wins a Super Bowl here, you know, it's all gravy, really, at that point. I, I think the real question becomes if he costs you in a playoff game, whether it's next week or in the Super Bowl, you know, then what do you do? You don't get the Super Bowl and you have to decide on the quarterback. I think they probably go Keenum, but it's a fluid situation. You know, it's changing all the time. And uh, I can't possibly project right now, honestly. Is he not eligible to be franchise tagged? Is that am I wrong about that? No, I think he is. So is that a possibility? Yeah, yes, I believe I believe it is. Um, I think they could definitely do that. Um, he, you know, he'd be very costly because of the, the way he's played this year. But it would prevent them from having to decide about a long-term future. So I think they, and they have a lot of cap space. So I think they could afford it. And uh, I think it would sort of kick the can down the road per se. Yeah. With, uh, with Teddy Bridgewater and just with his, do you think that they would have uh, any future of, of keeping him? Um, he, he still, you know, he, I think he's very talented. I mean, I would love to have him here in Houston uh, without a doubt because his game is very similar to what Deshaun Watson does. But is there any chance that they bring back uh, Teddy Bridgewater? Uh, Sam Bradford is a capable uh, quarterback uh, that, that could back up Case Keenum. I would imagine regardless of what happens, whether they win next week or they get to the Super Bowl, uh, Case Keenum is going to still be uh, with the Vikings. But, you know, that's an interesting uh, aspect that you provided about Shermer going to the Giants and taking Case Keenum with him. I, I think he's going to stay with you guys. They're not going to let him go, especially with the type of performance that he had. But what about Bridgewater? Yeah, it's really confusing right now, honestly. Like, for for five weeks of the season, Bridgewater was eligible to play. He was brought back from the pup. He was eligible to play. Mike Zimmer said, we're going to get Teddy in. We intend to play Teddy sometime this year. And Case just kept playing so well that Zimmer was compelled to keep starting Case. And Teddy really never got his chance. Yeah, he got two passes in garbage time against Cincinnati. Doesn't count. Um, Teddy hasn't really played this year. And then against the Saints, they deactivated him because they brought back Bradford, which is, is awfully telling. So I think the team recognizes that the longer Teddy goes without meaningful reps, the greater risk he becomes and and the more liability he becomes that you can't necessarily entrust him a lot of money. Now, on the flip side, because he hasn't played very much in two years, 
he might come cheap. You might be able to get him at value, bring him back. Maybe it's as a backup. Um, maybe you give Keenum $12 million a year. Maybe you, you give the rest of your kind of quarterback allotment to Teddy Bridgewater because I think a lot of teams pay 20, you know, 20 plus million dollars on their quarterback. If the Vikings give that distributed to two quarterbacks, I think they'd be pleased with that. Mm-hmm. But obviously Bridgewater's had, he's got a savvy agent. He's going to go where the money is. There's enough poor quarterback play in this league that if somebody is intrigued enough by the mystery of Teddy Bridgewater, they're going to give him some money. Um, and, and if that happens, I think the Vikings probably let him go. I think it could very well be Case Keenum next year as your starter. I think that's realistic, not guaranteed, yeah. but realistic. Um, their practice squad guy, uh, who they brought up to the active roster this year, uh, Kyle Sloter, he's their fourth quarterback. I think he could be either their backup or their third string next year. And then maybe a free agent we don't even know about yet. Um, it might just be Keenum of the big three who sticks around on this team. You got a couple of Texas quarterbacks going at it, former Texas high school quarterbacks uh, in this uh, NFC championship game. How do you see that matchup? Do you feel like the Vikings uh, should win this one? Do you feel like they've got enough after all of the emotion that they expended at the end of that one? Obviously they played the late game, so it's you know slightly shorter rest for them this week. Uh, what's your feeling on it? Well, I watched the way that Drew Brees just torched that defense in the second half. And the knee jerk is to say, well, somehow the defense has clearly been exposed here. And this is trouble for the Vikings. But then you think about Nick Foles. Can Nick Foles make an adjustment like that at halftime of a game and then execute it the way Drew Brees did? Drew Brees was his Hall of Fame self in that second half. 177 yards, three touchdowns. No sacks against. He was, I think their yards per play in the second half, and, and this is purely an estimate, but I think it was around eight or nine because they barely had any third downs. I mean, they were converting on, on first or second down almost every play offensively. But I don't think Nick Foles can exploit a defense that way. I'm not sure he's capable of that. He's been um, certainly average, but I don't think he's been stellar in his time since replacing Carson Wentz. And this Vikings defense feasts on mediocre quarterbacks yeah there's going to be hall of fame quarterbacks that get them once in a while but if you look at their track record the vikings are stifling against quarterbacks that you know don't really have a sterling reputation and i think nick Foles fits that bill pretty well i think that the bigger question for sunday is can the vikings move the ball offensively against the eagles defense because that's probably their strength um on the other side of the ball their running game is going to be the key for the vikings to stop they were number two against the run so if they can stop Ajayi, um, if he doesn't go Alvin Kamara on them, who was just ridiculous in that Saints game, more so through the air uh, than on the ground, I, I don't see the Eagles scoring more than 20, 21 points. Um, it, very few teams have done that against Minnesota this year. Drew Brees managed it in the second half, but that was an out-of-body experience. Um, that was an incredible second half by Drew Brees. And I'm not sure Nick Foles can duplicate it. So um, I, I do like the Vikings' chances, to be honest with you. They're favored by three and a half. And um, I really think that this profiles as a, as a good matchup for the Vikings. How does Vikings Nation view Mike Zimmer um, as head coach right now? I mean, in comparison to all of the other coaches that you've had uh, in the past. And you've had a, a nice cast of, of coaches that have come through. 
but just in the short amount of time that he's been here, and, he, and Zimmer's well-respected uh, in NFL circles just for his expertise, uh, you know, with running, you, you know, just being, uh, you know, a guy that's able to hold things together, and I believe his specialty um, is more so the defense with a little offense uh, shake, shaking in there, shaking in there, but... Uh, well, how, do, how does Vikings Nation uh, view him? Well, let's look back at the previous Vikings coaches. You had Mike Tice in the early 2000s. He was a tough guy, mm-hmm. but he had no discipline. And and those guys just ran rampant around the community. They got in trouble. They had the, the love boat scandal. Uh, if your listeners don't know about that, just look it up on Wikipedia. Then you had Brad Childress, who probably got a bad rep as a head coach because he he did have a lot of success. He went from six wins to eight to 10 to 12. He improved almost every year. And then the second that he dipped, they fired him because he had no social skills. His players didn't respect him. Uh, Then you had Leslie Frazier, who was allegedly a defensive-minded coach who couldn't construct a good defense. And his personnel wasn't great either. They were kind of in a transition after Childress into Zimmer. Then Zimmer comes in. He's he's got discipline. Uh, He's got a phenomenal defensive mind and I think he's got that blue collar mentality that a lot of the rural Minnesotans really respect you know we're up here in the Midwest people want to see a guy that's hardworking, kind of salt of the earth kind of guy and that's what Mike Zimmer is to the core he's a football man there's no fluff he says it like it is and yeah to the media he can be kind of annoying sometimes he doesn't reveal a whole lot he can be grumpy And that can be frustrating, but the fan base just gravitates to this dude because of how how occasionally he can kind of break out the one-liners pretty well. He's funny. Um, He picks his spots. He can be gruff when he needs to. He can be a disciplinarian, but he can also be be gentle. He can be a teacher. Um, He can be sentimental. He's a dynamic person. You know, he's he's not turned up all the time. uh, You know, all the way up to eleven. He's not overly excitable. And he's not monotone like Bill Belichick. He's got a good balance, uh, I feel like, in his coaching style, which I think makes the, the fans respect him and the players respect him. And that's why he got extended last year is because he's so popular and he's doing a great job with this team. Would you say popular of all time? Well, you can't replace Bud Grant. No, I mean, Bud Grant uh, in the late 60s, early to mid 70s, he's irreplaceable. And he's he's still a consultant with the team. He has an office at their facility. Um, This is a guy that showed up to the 2015 playoff game, which was minus five degrees, wearing a a short sleeve shirt and going out to the coin toss circle like that. That's how beloved this guy is uh, because of the, the way he personified toughness in those purple people leaders back in the day. So that's a pretty high bar to reach, but I think Mike Zimmer is uh, maybe maybe competing for number two, certainly. Yeah, I saw the the pictures of him doing that. They, they showed it during the game, and he was in the stands. Uh, they had a shot of him in the stands on Sunday. Uh, really fantastic stuff. Uh, how healthy are you guys going into this one? Andrew Sandejo got knocked unconscious in the Saints game. He was walking around the facility today looking normal, as most guys do after they have a concussion, but – you never know what the protocol is going to say. Like, you know, Anthony Barr earlier this year went through protocol, played the next week. Uh, right tackle Mike Remmers got a concussion, went through protocol, didn't play for three weeks. Uh, so it can go either way. You don't know what's going to happen with Sandejo. His, 
His players, uh, or his teammates, I should say, were optimistic. Xavier Rhodes thought he was going to be fine. But I think he's still in protocol, and no one's really going to know until Wednesday, Thursday, whether he's going to be eligible. Uh, their defensive tackle, Shamar Stefan, probably has a serious knee injury. I asked him about it after the game, and he wasn't too keen on sharing much, which usually means it's serious, just reading between the lines. Uh, but if they can get by without him, probably. Uh, he was a reserve DT. Otherwise, they're, they're in good shape. I mean, unless there's an injury we don't know about, I think this team is going to be healthy. I think the starting 11 on defense are going to be intact. The offensive line is going to be healthy again. So, yeah, I mean, br- br- bring it on, the Vikings are saying. They've got most of their guys they want, and they're ready to go. So, Sam, I've got an uncle that lives in Austin, Minnesota, and he's about to retire in a couple of weeks, and he's moving to Mankato to be with his fiance who lives there. And that gets me all around. It's a great way to include my uncle in this story. But that gets me to uh, Adam Thielen. What a find he is because a guy, a local guy coming out of Minnesota Mankato, he's shocked the NFL. What has it been like to watch that story unfold? Well, I think nationally, I think maybe he's turned more heads this year. Locally, last year was his real breakout year. He was almost a 1,000-yard receiver last year. He was up over 900. He really emerged middle to later part of that season. He had over 200 yards against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, had over 100 yards against the Houston Texans at home, which which you guys might have seen um, <laughs> last year in, in that game at U.S. Bank Stadium. But uh, but he, he's been a treat. He's one of the most accessible guys you'll find. He talks in the locker room almost every day. This is a top five receiver we're talking about. Find me another top five receiver that's literally available whenever you want him doing multiple one-on-one interviews every single day. The demand for him is so high, and he never seems to tire of it. Uh, so credit to him for that. But the way he, has, he catches everything in his vicinity, got, got great measurables. Don't know how they missed him out of, out, of, uh, out of college because he's got the height, got the weight, got the speed. Um, the only thing he doesn't have is the college pedigree. You know, he went to Division two, but he runs great routes. He's very subtle is the word that Mike Zimmer likes to use. He's competitive. He makes contested catches. You saw a couple of them in the Saints game, and that was really a microcosm of, of, of his whole season. He catches almost everything in, in his uh, catch radius. And it, thank goodness that Thielen has emerged because their first-round draft pick, Laquan Treadwell, has been a dud now for two years. And I would say his future in Minnesota, probably questionable going into next year. But Thielen and Diggs, have been a dynamic duo, and they were on display absolutely at their finest against the Saints. Outside of Case Keenum, who's been your biggest surprise this season? Uh, Thielen, we were just talking about him. Is there anybody else that, that, that has really flashed in front of you that you didn't think was going to this season? Let me give you one on offense, one on defense. Offense will give you a position group, just the offensive line in general. They were abysmal last year, worst running attack in the NFL. Couldn't protect Sam Bradford. They bring in Riley Reef, Mike Remmers, Pat Elfline. Totally revived. Uh, they've been a top 10 offense. Their tackles have protected the quarterback in, in pass protection incredibly well. Their interior linemen are mobile in the run game and in the screen game. Just a dynamic change from last year when they had turnstiles at the tackles. Defensively, Trey Waynes. Trey Waynes might be the most improved player on the Vikings. Last year, Xavier Rhodes was a shutdown corner, so they just picked on Waynes. And oftentimes, they beat Trey Waynes. This year, Trey Waynes has been really a shutdown guy as well since about week two or week three. 
He's been mm-hmm. very good, getting a lot of targets against him. He's mm-hmm. learned how to uh, to not be as handsy, to not draw those flags. Uh, mm-hmm. He's getting he's turning his head a little bit better later in the season. And suddenly you've got a couple of very good corners uh, shutting down your receivers on the outside. So when you've got two corners like that, it becomes increasingly more difficult to develop something or develop rhythm in the passing game. Well, I know you have to be exhausted, so we're going we're gonna to let you go. It's going to be a long week ahead of you. Uh, can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate you coming on with us, Sam. And I tell you what, from a, from a Houston perspective, and I think it's also from a national perspective, Houston's going to be behind the Vikings from here on out with Case Keenum. But nationally, uh, I, I know everybody's going to be rooting for the Vikings. A great story, the history with the franchise, the fan base. Uh, everything that goes into that. I, I think you guys are the darlings right now. And so uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch to see if you guys can get to the Super Bowl in your hometown for the first time that that would happen in NFL history. Thanks so much for joining us, Sam. Thanks, Robert. Love your show. I uh, love talking to you guys. And uh, maybe down the road, we can have another chat. Yeah, maybe the te- maybe the Texans will, will be challenging uh, for a Super Bowl with you guys next year. Uh, just one more quick reminder before we take off. If you're enjoying the show, Tell your friends who love the Texans. Let them know they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Podchaser, Megaphone, you name it. We're there. So lots of different ways uh, to put us on your phone or MP3 device and kind of keep you company when you're dealing with Houston traffic or running your errands, maybe going to the gym, whatever you're doing. Uh, We'll keep you going into the offseason all the way to next season. Uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow with our Top 5 Tuesday. Don't forget, it's Top 5 Tuesday. A lot of fun. Can't wait for that. And we'll see you tomorrow. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah.